European Heart Journal Issue at a Glance Volume 44, Issue 1 Focus Issue Heart Failure and Cardiomyopathies By Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea Read to you by Morgan Bryan Acute and Chronic Heart Failure Exciting Therapeutic Perspectives This focus issue on heart failure, or HF, and cardiomyopathies contains the state-of-the-art review article entitled Iron Deficiency and Cardiovascular Disease by Gianluigi Savarese from the Karolinska Institutet in Stockholm, Sweden. The authors indicate that iron deficiency, or ID, is common in patients with cardiovascular disease. Up to 60% of patients with coronary artery disease and an even higher proportion of those with HF or pulmonary hypertension have ID. The evidence for cerebrovascular disease, aortic stenosis and atrial fibrillation is less robust. The prevalence of ID increases with the severity of cardiac and renal dysfunction and is probably more common amongst women. Insufficient dietary iron Reduced iron absorption due to increases in hepcidin, secondary to the low-grade inflammation associated with atherosclerosis and congestion or reduced gastric acidity, and increased blood loss due to antithrombotic therapy or gastrointestinal or renal disease, may all cause ID. For older people in the general population and patients with HF with reduced ejection fraction, or HEFREF, both anemia and ID are associated with poor prognosis. Each may confer an independent risk. There is growing evidence that ID is an important therapeutic target for patients with HEFREF, even if they do not have anemia. Whether this is also true for other HF phenotypes or patients with cardiovascular disease in general is currently unknown. Randomized trials show that IV ferric carboxymaltose improved symptoms, health-related quality of life and exercise capacity, and reduced hospitalizations for worsening HF in patients with HEFREF and mildly reduced ejection fraction, less than 50%. Since ID is easy to treat and is effective for patients with HEFREF, such patients should be investigated for possible ID. This recommendation may extend to other populations in the light of the evidence from future trials. In a second state-of-the-art review article entitled Valvular Heart Disease – Shifting the Focus to the Myocardium Nina Ajmon Marzen and colleagues from the Leiden University Medical Centre in the Netherlands note that adverse cardiac remodelling is the main determinant of patient prognosis in degenerative valvular heart disease, or VHD. However, to give an indication for valvular intervention, current guidelines include parameters of cardiac chamber dilation or function, which are subject to variability, do not directly reflect myocardial structural changes, and more importantly, seem to be not sensitive enough in depicting early signs of myocardial dysfunction before irreversible myocardial damage has occurred. To avoid irreversible myocardial dysfunction, novel biomarkers are advocated to help in refining indications for intervention and risk stratification. Advanced electrocardiographic modalities, including strain analysis and magnetic resonance imaging, 
have been shown to be promising in providing new tools to depict the important switch from adaptive to maladaptive myocardial changes in response to severe VHD. This review therefore summarises the current available evidence on the role of these new imaging biomarkers in degenerative VHD, aiming at shifting the clinical perspective from a value-centred to a myocardium-focused approach for patient management and therapeutic decision-making. Sodium glucose co-transporter 2, or SGLT2 inhibitors, improve cardiovascular outcomes in diverse patient populations, but their efficacy in acute HF, or AHF, is still unknown. In a clinical research article entitled Impact of Empaglyphlosin on Decongestion in Acute Heart Failure, the M-Pulse Trial, Jan Biegos and colleagues from the Wroclaw Medical University in Poland indicate that effective and safe decongestion remains a major goal for optimal management of patients with AHF. The effects of the SGLT2 inhibitor empaglyphlosin on decongestion-related endpoints were evaluated in the MPULSE trial, NCT 0415775. A total of 530 patients hospitalized for AHF were randomized one-to-one -to, -one to either empaglyphlosin 10 mg once daily or placebo for 90 days. The outcomes investigated were weight loss, or WL, and WL-adjusted for mean daily loop diuretic dose, or WL-adjusted, area under the curve of change from baseline in N-terminal pro-brain natriuretic peptide levels, hemoconcentration, and clinical congestion score after 15, 30, and 90 days of treatment. Compared with placebo, patients treated with empaglyphlosin demonstrated significantly greater reductions in all studied markers of decongestion at all time points. Adjusted mean difference at days 15, 30 and 90 were for WL minus 1.97, minus 1.74 and minus 1.53 kilograms. For WL adjusted, minus 2.31, minus 2.79 and minus 3.18 kilograms per 40 milligrams of fluorosamide IV or equivalent, or P being less than 0.05. Greater WL at day 15 i.e. above the median WL in the entire population, was associated with significantly higher probability for clinical benefit at day 90, with a win ratio of 1.75, P being less than 0.0001. The authors conclude that initiation of empagliflozin in patients hospitalised for AHF resulted in an early, effective and sustained decongestion which was associated with clinical benefit at day 90. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Alexandre Merbaza and Alain Cohen-Solal from the Université Paris-Cité in France and Paolo Colombo from the Columbia University Irving Medical Center in New York, USA. The authors conclude that recent positive trials on AHF demonstrated that azetazolamide and glyphlosins on top of furosemide are effective in reducing congestion in AHF. However, the same trials also showed that many patients remain congested at discharge or later, despite these new therapies. 
Further research is needed, possibly using the congestion endpoints already validated in Mpulse and Advor. Management of congenital heart disease is a challenge of growing complexity. In particular, the long-term survival of patients with isolated congenital ventricular septal defect, or VSD, is not well described. In a clinical research article entitled Survival of Patients with Congenital Ventricular Septal Defect, Philip Eckerstrom and colleagues from the Copenhagen University Hospital in Denmark sought to describe the survival of a national cohort of patients with VSD compared with the general population. Using Danish nationwide medical registries, all patients diagnosed with congenital VSD, N equaling 9,136, in the period 1997 to 2018 were included. Patients with chromosomal abnormalities and concomitant congenital cardiac malformations other than atrial septal defect were excluded. Each patient was matched by birth year and sex with 10 controls from the general Danish population. Median follow-up was 22 years. BSD patients displayed lower survival, P being less than 0.001, yielding a hazard ratio, or HR for mortality, of 2.7, 95% confidence interval, or CI, 2.4 to 3.0, compared with matched controls. The adjusted HR for mortality among patients with unrepaired VSD was 2.7, and 2.8 for patients with surgically closed VSD. Stratified by era of VSD diagnosis, the HR for mortality was 3.2 for unrepaired patients diagnosed before 1990 and 2.4 for patients diagnosed later. Cardiac-related death was the most common cause of death among unrepaired 30%, and surgically closed 65%, patients. Eckerstrom and colleagues conclude that patients with VSD have lower survival compared with the general population. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Anne-Marie Valenta and Michael Freed from the Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts, USA. The authors conclude by pointing out that in 1968, Dr. Julian Hoffman published a report of the natural history of congenital heart disease regarding problems in its assessment with special reference to VSDs. His conclusion reads, At present, we have to make decisions about prognosis and treatment on insufficient evidence, and it will take another 50 years of careful follow-up of each variety of congenital heart disease, with anatomic and physiological variations distinguished, before giving definite answers to some of the questions which are now being asked. Now, 54 years later, we continue to search for those answers. In a Viewpoint article entitled Fit for the Future Empowering Clinical Trials with Digital Technology Deepak Kotecha and colleagues from the University of Birmingham Institute for Cardiovascular Sciences in the United Kingdom remind us that digital innovation and the increasing ability for easier application are transforming our daily lives. This transformation is being driven by rapid changes in technology, but also consumerism. Whilst there is a clear opportunity to apply these innovations to clinical research, advances here have been much slower. 
there is a need for relevant stakeholders to embrace digital innovation and to balance it with research governance, security of patient information, trustworthiness and social license to use these techniques in health research. Changes are required to rapidly accelerate advancements in cardiovascular diseases and reverse withdrawal of industry investment based on more efficient cardiovascular outcome trials which remain the bedrock of our discipline. In this viewpoint, the authors highlight the need for a paradigm shift to reinitialize large-scale pragmatic cardiovascular trials. This issue is also complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a commentary entitled, More Costs Than Benefits from Screening for Cardiovascular Disease with Computed Tomography in the Dankovas Study, Niels Holmark Andersen and colleagues from the Aalborg University Hospital in Denmark comment on the recent publication Cost-Effectiveness of Population Screening versus No Screening for Cardiovascular Disease The Danish Cardiovascular Screening Trial, or Dankovas by Rega Sugard and colleagues from the University of Southern Denmark. Sugard et al. respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.